I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Linda Rossetti, author of Dancing with Disruption, a new approach to navigating life's biggest challenges or changes. In times of upheaval and uncertainty, in the aftermath of a breakup, the loss of a job, a troubling health diagnosis, or some other disruption occurs, we need a new response to how we imagine ourselves. We must say goodbye to what we expected would happen and embrace a new self-concept anchored by what holds value and meaning to us. The process of transformation can allow us to discard both internal and external expectations that no longer serve us and initiate a growth cycle that connects us to our truth. Linda Rossetti offers insights and empowers us to set a new course when the future is a blank slate. She teaches techniques that can bring clarity, energy, and optimism to any journey of transformation. She's a Harvard MBA, former Fortune 500 executive, and pioneering researcher on individuals' experience at the crossroads of their lives. Her work has been featured on NPR, CBS, WBZ, Money Magazine, and many, many other outlets. Welcome to the show, Linda. Nice to have you on today. Catherine, thanks so much for inviting me. Great to be here. I know the first question that people usually ask, and I have to say I ask the question too sometimes, is, you know, uh, why did you write the book? Uh, What inspired you to write Dancing with Disruption? But I don't think I'm going to ask that question. Really what I want to know is I, I, I make the assumption that one writes a book because of something personal that happens in their own life. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, some kind of disruption that sort of got you on your journey to being able to manage that. And then, you know, the outcome is, uh, is can be a book. Uh, well, you're right. Uh, it started with me, but then it, it uh, quickly got me to others, which I think probably brought me to the book. But let me give you a little color on that. Um, about a decade ago, I was working... Um, in a rock-around-the-clock kind of job. Uh, I was in a, a C-suite of a global Fortune 500 company, and, and a series of dramas happened in my life, and I, I found you know, myself describing to other people that I felt like the ground had fallen out from underneath me. I, I, just couldn't, I just couldn't function, and it was nothing catastrophic. I couldn't point to one thing. You know, I didn't you know, lose a parent. I didn't you know, have a terrible accident, but I kept moving in a direction that I just couldn't make sense of. And so it's funny, I think like many of us, you know, I turned to people around me and said, you know, geez, I'm really having a hard time figuring out what's going on. And they're like, oh, you know, they couldn't have been less moved, Catherine, by what I was trying to tell them. They're like, oh, get another job. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And, and I looked at them and I was like, no, no, there's actually something happening here. And I'm not entirely sure what it is, but it was frightening me, right? Because my first reaction, as I heard everyone kind of, you know, ignoring what I was trying to say, was, geez, there must be something wrong with me. And and the silliest thing, I mean, I'll tell you one of the things, this will just bring home the fact that I was not functioning. And I actually tell this story in the book. One day I had to leave. I had two young children at the time, and I had to leave because my babysitter needed to leave on the dot at at 5.30, And so I was rushing out of the building, and we have this parking lot where everyone left their keys in their car because all day long the attendants had to move, you know, move cars back and forth because it was a city lot and there was not a lot of room. And so I leave this day, and lo and behold, when the elevator doors open underground at this this parking area, both cars that my house owned were right in front of me. And I jumped into the car that I typically drove every day to work, which was a Honda Pilot. 
threw my briefcase down, put my phone in the center console, and drove up, you know, three layers, waved my badge in front of the reader out onto the busy street. And all of a sudden, once I cleared this, you know, hulking big building, all of a sudden the radio turned on to, a, you know, an unfamiliar station. And I recognized at that moment, now I'm driving away from the building in traffic. I'm in the wrong car. Right? The car is not the smoky gray interior of my car. It's a beige interior, right? So now I've been in this car for minutes and not even realizing it. So when I say, like, I was not functioning and concerned that something was wrong, um, it, was, it, was, it was apparent that I was having more than just a few bad days. So, um, and so that might sound like a silly story, but um, it really kind of brings the the kind of level of anxiety I had that, geez, something's wrong. Maybe, you know, I'm not functioning. And um, and so... You know what? I have to stop you, Linda, because it doesn't sound like a crazy story. I think those, I mean, there it is. There's the red flag. You're like a crazy lady. You're not a crazy lady, but you're kind of acting like one. Uh, I mean, I had a, a, a sort of identifying with you before I went through a divorce, three kids, was in three kids in the car trying to get gas at a gas station and actually almost began to drive away with the gas line attached to my car. <laughs> because course. I yes, so you yeah. understand. Yeah, and I, and and I don't mean to chuckle, but yes, yeah. I completely understand. Yeah. Time to do something, time to leave, time to make a decision. But that awareness often comes from the kind of uh, situation that you described or that I just described. Anyway, okay, so time to transform Exactly, and so, yourself. you know, yeah. Catherine, I'll just finish the story quickly. I resolved because I was so um, I was so in this moment of needing resources to help me. I went and looked around to see if something could help me figure out what was happening, and I was struck by the fact that there wasn't really anything that spoke to the enormity of what was going on for me. And so, lucky for me at the time, I had a large network, and I mentioned to a friend of mine um, that I wanted to do some research into you know periods of upheaval in people's lives. And he said, oh, you know, let us be your learning lab. And he ran a large outplacement firm in the U.S. And, and so it was lucky for me uh, that I had access to people who then began what I now refer to as my research. I spent many years talking with nearly 300 people about what was happening at the moments in their lives when they were finding themselves, you know, in an unfamiliar place. And that could happen, as you mentioned at the top of the show. It could happen for a million reasons. Um, but I was fascinated by what happened to these people. And people were incredibly generous. And the net of it is, is I heard patterns in their stories that I thought no one was paying attention to. And that's really what brings me to you today, right? Because I wrote a book, and I've, this is the second book I've written. I host a podcast, and I do in a number of activities all to start a new conversation about what happens to all of us at these periods of our lives. And in fact, you know, while we hang all sorts of negative vocabulary off of it, these can be enormous inflection points for us. And, and we need a new conversation about that. We need a new conversation. And I think your conversation is very different than the one, let's say, that we've heard after the pandemic. Let's get back to normal. So it's that let's something is disrupted in our lives uh, and we want to get back to normal. And that's not what you're saying. Where there's no getting back to normal. We have to transform ourselves and go ahead. And you also mentioned, I don't know if you say it exactly this way, but redefining yourself, redefining your goals, not easy to do. People are really terrified to, I think, generally speaking, to do that. 
Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, and I want E. e. Jean Carroll. I mean, it took, she's 79 years old. It took her a long time to be able to stand up to Donald Trump, but she finally did it. I yeah, and we're cheering for her today. We've been cheering for her for weeks, and I'm so yeah. happy with that decision. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting what you say, right, that, you know, we, we are socialized as a, you know, in our society to, like, tamp down, run the other way, ignore these periods when we are experiencing this. And the pandemic is a perfect, you know, this let's get back to normal. And the conversation I'm trying to start is really about a new normal. Right, and, and it begins with some new vocabulary, and then it, it helps people walk through the techniques that can help them um, answer some questions that admittedly are difficult to do. And if you'll permit me, can I, can I share a little bit of that vocabulary? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's really important to talk about the techniques. Be really specific, and you can even give. Well, we gave you gave an, your own example, on my example, but there are also uh, case studies or in, in the book to people, so you can give those as example too, and telling us about what are reframing the techniques. What do we do? Right. Absolutely. And 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 you know, in the beginning, I think the first level of like blow your socks off, you know, I was shocked to learn as I listened to all these people who spoke with me, was that there is a verb or word that we use interchangeably in our society that means very different things when we're encountering a disruption like we've just described, right? And those two words are change and transition. And we flip them back and forth like there's no tomorrow. We use them everywhere. But when we're at a period of upheaval in our lives, changes have to do with pursuing a known outcome. They were, they're all about variations or alterations on, on an existing or an intact self-concept, right? So we, we opt for change when we are leaving intact the sense of who we are. Transition at these times really is kind of the neighborhood of when we're willing to honor and investigate shifts in our self-concept at these times. And transitions are all about kind of unknown outcomes, right? We, we sit with instability for a time, but because of that, we, we, during that process, we re-examine the assumptions upon which we kind of anchor our sense of self. So the first thing I recognized is as we go through these things, the vocabulary that we have is pretty lousy, right? Our understanding of the vocabulary of what's actually happening. And so one helpful thing, right, um, Catherine, is just giving people the context so they can place their experience of upheaval, you know, kind of in a new frame. Right. And but can you give of, us, and I'm going to stop you there, because give us an example. The difference, you're, obviously, you're talking about the difference between change and transition. Give us an example of a disruption and then what it means if you just simply change your behavior as opposed to transis, transitioning. Where, yes. You know, yeah. Of course, of course. And so there's this lovely woman who participated in my research, and she's highlighted in the book, and her name is Lakshmi. And Lakshmi had this wonderful, you and I would all, we would all, every one of your listeners, we would share for her. She worked very hard, and she got herself into this, um, this very intense MD, PhD program kind of in public health um, out in a, a very large Midwestern university. And she worked very hard. She had gone through medical school, and she was in this kind of post-med school, you know, environment working. And she's like, you know, all of a sudden, I realized 
that this is not who I want to be, right? The environment I was in, the things I was doing, it didn't match what I had hoped it was going to be. Now, many of us, Catherine, at that moment can make a change. We can say, oh, you know, maybe it's the Midwest. I don't like this hospital. I don't like where I'm working. I'm going to move. I'm going to change my job. I'm going to change the environment, right? So that is making an alteration or a variation, um, but it's leaving intact the self-concept, right? Lakshmi at that time, she's still going to be an MD, you know, within the public health arena, la, la, la. In fact, if you read the book, Lakshmi actually said, you know, no, I, um, I'm actually going to re-examine um, that identity that I have, that I've crafted, and see if, in fact, it still holds water. And I should add that she was also somebody who had experienced this increasingly debilitating set of headaches as she was kind of, you know, navigating this decision. And, and that is a very common, and I don't mean headaches, but when we are in the process of reexamining a familiar identity or self-concept, if we open the gates to say, hmm, maybe this needs to be refined, very often we have an intense emotional reaction. And so the book talks a lot about the techniques not only to deal with, okay, well, if I'm not going to be an MD, you know, public health, um, you know, guru, what am I going to be, right? So that's like on the very practical level, how do we reimagine that identity? But the book also talks about how do we reframe that emotional response so that it is not so oppositional as we're in this period of transition. So, Linda, how do you do that in the context? Let's give a context for that. This example, Lakshmi, uh, not necessarily true in her case, but when other people that you're close to, whether it's family or friends, a partner, have a real stake in you not making that transition, but making the change, as you said. You know, you, know, you don't want to be a doctor in the Midwest, but you could be a doctor on the East Coast. It would be very different being at a different hospital. And they have a real stake in you becoming a physician, and that's how they see you, and that's your identity as it relates or connects to them. How do you navigate that? Well, it's really interesting you say that because that is a whole chapter in the book. Okay. <laughs> and um, you're, you're, you know, Catherine, you're pointing to a very important element of this experience, which is those around us, whether they're partners, spouses, dear friends, very often have a need for us to stay the same, right? Because it's part of their own stability of who they are and what's going on. And so part of that is... Um, recognizing who can and cannot support you at this time, right? So very often what happens when people navigate a transformation, a transformative process in their identity, um, they actually build new connections to others who, who may be able to support them in ways because they don't see you know, they're invisible walls that, that others, you know, particularly those who are in kind of in our orbit, um, not only see but reinforce in all their behaviors with us. And so um, the, the book and the research um, advocates that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Just because we're going through this period of change doesn't mean those around us, the closest to us, don't have a role. But we can't fool ourselves um, into relying on them as the only voice of support at the table. We really do need to make sure that we have people around us who can say, why not, as much as saying, why? Then if we're not getting or we feel that we're not getting the support, we have to be aware that we aren't getting the support. Mm -hmm. We have to recognize it, I guess. Then we have to 
go elsewhere, as you say you did. I mean, I, I'm a social worker, a counselor, so uh, is go get help in therapy or counseling or finding people who have gone through the same process as yourself. Um, as you say, you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You still want to be with your p- partner, loved ones, who, whomever it is, but um, that you need to go outside your environment to get the support you need? You know, you do need to have, a, a, I, I, I call it in the book, a, um, you know, a, um, a constructive community, right? You need to have people who are willing yeah. to walk next to you and listen, and listen when you say, I don't know, and not belittle that, and, and be okay with you saying, I don't know. Um, and, and, and it can be found anywhere, right? You know, I've piloted this in church basements. I've piloted in, you know, PTAs. I've piloted it in work organizations. You know, it can be anything. And it, 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 and it is what Weight Watchers and AA and a thousand other groups um, do, which is they create an appreciative community um, where you can kind of try on and validate these new expressions of yourself that you're exploring. And... Um, again, I say that you, you know, the great news is a lot of people think that, oh my goodness, if I'm going to go through some kind of transformation, I have to leave, right? I have to leave a marriage. I have to leave a job. I have to leave a geography. And what I found in my research to be so fascinating, Catherine, is that what's really happening in a period of transformation is, is really recentering of the self, and it doesn't need to equate to departure, right? Departures can be part of it, um, but what's really happening is we are looking at the assumptions upon which we define who we are and how we make meaning in the world. And we're recentering those, right? Some of those are going to be um, past their useful life, and we're going to get rid of them. Others of them may have been quieted for some reason, so we need to turn up the volume on it. And still others may be new, and we want to add that in. But what's happening is we're really turning up the volume on our own voices. And so that can happen right where you sit, right? It doesn't mean you have to leave anything. But it will be difficult if you don't pull others into your orbit, right, whether that's through a community group, a professional like a a licensed social worker, um, a therapist, um, an alumni group. There's all sorts of ways to get that supportive infrastructure around you, Um, but they're really serving a particular role, and that is they're listening as you begin to exercise your own voice, and they're offering some validation, which you desperately need as you step outside of kind of the familiar, um, you know, expressions of who you are. You know, you did all this research and you did it with hundreds of people, and I'm assuming the demographics were very different, all the people that you interviewed and that you researched. I mean, I guess my question is, it's not just one kind of person who's able to do this. I mean, how emotionally stable do you have to be? How intelligent do you have to be? Or do none of those things matter? You know, it's so. I thank you so much for asking that question because a lot of people, when they first hear about it, they assume that there's, you know, you know, this is for the, you know, gazillion dollar Silicon Valley tech CEO who wants to kind of reimagine themselves. And what played out in the data is a thousand miles away from that, right? The reality is that anyone can go through. Um, this period of becoming aware of and then re-examining their assumptions about who they are. And some of the most fascinating people who participated in my research were those who had suffered brain trauma. And I had a group of people who were in a recovery support group, and they participated. And I remember one woman, she said, you know, this is how I think about it. She said, you know, um, everyone's cheering for me and that I've, you know, 
come out of this and I'm in my recovery and I'm doing well. But she said, you know, I'm feeling as if I'm standing in my kitchen and I'm taking everything out of the cabinets and I'm putting it on the counter. And before I put anything back in, I'm taking every single can or glass or cup and looking at it and seeing if it, if it makes sense to go back in the cabinet. And she said, you know what? I'm leaving a lot out on the table. And so I, I, I say that only to say that, you know, people from all walks of life, regardless of their circumstances, can come to these moments of crossroads. And I think that the conversation I am trying to start is to have a new conversation about what we need at that moment, right? We need an appreciative community that can help that woman say, you know what, that's okay, I got it. You're going to, you know, you're going to think about what's on the cabinet, or what goes in the cabinet and what stays out on the counter. Okay. You know, and I, I think that that's, that can be anyone, and I, I you know, I, I did have a, what I hope is a representative sample, you know, um, uh, you know, but it's not an empirical analysis. It, you know, it's mostly observational. But you'll maybe chuckle at this, Catherine, <laughs> um, because I was really so fascinated by what I found, and I had ten teenagers when the pandemic was happening. I started to get my doctorates in human development after I saw this research because I wanted to make dead sure that what I was saying footed to the to the psych the scholarly research that is happening in this area and I think that allowed me to turn up my voice even more about the patterns that I saw because there's there are many who have have observed that you know we at many intervals in our lives are are met with what can be horrifically challenging circumstances and and we have to be in those circumstances but we don't always just have to make a change we can make a transition and those that do um open themselves up to a enormous growth pattern that is frankly available for everyone um you know regardless of their capabilities and disruption, as you say, disruption happens to us as individuals. We can, I mean, it could be a medical disruption, sick diagnosis. Uh, but then as, then there's the pandemic, uh, which I yeah. think is a continuing, will be a continuing disruption that we're going to have to deal with. And uh, climate change and all of those kinds of yeah. things, and even our political environment. So you can take it out of the realm of just the individual, but it's the community. It's, it's, uh, it's actually global. So what you're talking, yeah, and I, what you're talking about really applies, I think, to all of those scenarios in terms of disruption. I, yeah, I love what you're saying, Catherine, because how I think of this is that because of all that you're saying, right? Whether it's the pandemic, the climate crisis, you know, the longevity, like so many social and environmental things are changing. More and more people are going to be faced with having to reimagine their identity again and again over the arc of their life. And today, our skill sets for doing that are shockingly low. And that is really why I am trying to initiate this new conversation to say, hey, look, let's, let, let's, let's de demystify this, right? This is a normal, universal pattern in adult lives, okay? Let's at least preview what might happen, give people the tools to navigate it well, and then, you know, let let the voices come forward, because I think with more voices at the table, we'll handle things like that climate crisis or the needs of our, our populace with respect to longevity or a thousand other social issues. Um, we'll handle those better because we'll have more people um, really using the incredible talents they all have. So we need leaders like you, obviously. I mean, you mentioned you got a Ph.D. and uh, this is your Harvard 
MBA and on and on and on, right? So you need well, to bring Well, I have people. to correct you, Catherine, because I'm in the process. I You're haven't in, gotten okay. my PhD, but I'm almost there. <laughs> All right. You'll get it. I'm making this something, yes, that you are going to get your PhD. But that Thank whole you. longevity thing, I think, is re- you mentioned that, actually mentioned it twice, and I think that's really critical because people are really struggling with this. I'm living to 80, 90, or 100. Now what do I do? I mean, do right. I redefine myself? I mean, that is, as the baby boomers begin to age. I think that's a critical, uh, a really critical time and which is happening right now in terms of, of uh, how people are going to be able to transform and be able to handle that. Um, so I assume that there were people in your research who were struggling with those kinds of issues. No question. And, you know, I wrote the book in a specific way. Um, it's full of stories of people of all walks of life so people can find themselves in there. But it also in every one of the 10 chapters has an interactive exercise that help people bring their lived experience into what is necessary as we navigate these periods of disruption. And I do that, one, to help people start a new conversation with themselves, but it also serves as a platform, right? They can bring it to their you know, um, their book club, or they can bring it to the, you know, their friends, and they can do those exercises together. It can create the community necessary to begin the change, because this conversation needs to happen again and again in coffee houses and living rooms and schools and everywhere, because as we look forward, we will repeatedly need to update our identity, right? Because we will not, as you say, be able to be, you know, a baby boomer at 63 or 67 or 70 and just assume we're going to make alterations on our identity for the next 25 years, right? We really will have to reimagine kind of who we are. And, and, and today, because we don't have that vocabulary widely, that can be a terrifying thing, but it need not. That's what my research says. My research says it need not be terrifying. It is an incredible opportunity that, frankly, you know, it's, it's exciting and expansive and joyful. It doesn't mean that it's not a bit scary. And one of the most powerful techniques I offer in the book is this technique for emotionally reframing, right, how we take periods of intense emotions and reframe them so those are not as oppositional as they can be and allow us to keep moving forward. That's great. Interactive. And it's kind of, I, I love the word interactive because I think that is key. It really makes it real for people and they do need to do it in their living rooms or at work or wherever they drink their coffee. And uh, it, it sort of brings all of these issues alive. And I was going to ask you to give us an example of interactive but people are going to have to buy the book because we only have a couple minutes left. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to ask you that question. Uh, Linda Rossetti, uh, her book is Dancing with Disru- Disruption, A New Approach to Navigating Life's Biggest Changes. So give us more uh, information about where we can follow you in terms of the work you're doing and obviously in buying the book. Certainly. So um, you can uh, visit any one of the social media sites. So Linda Rossetti author is on Facebook as well as Instagram. Um, My name, Linda Rossetti, is on LinkedIn. And my website is a wonderful place to start. Linda Rossetti. My last name is always the trickiest thing. Two S's and two T's. Uh, but lindarosetti.com is a re- website that has lots of resources. My books are available on audiobook, electronic versions, and print versions on Amazon or wherever you buy your books, including in independent bookstores. Um, I do host a podcast 
um, called Destination Unknown. And every week I host a free drop-in uh, call, which you can find information on my website for. It's called Dishing on Disruption. And it's a place where we do some interactive exercises and create a platform where people can get comfortable with um, the upheavals that they uh, encounter in their lives. I love it. Thanks so much for being on the show and sharing all that information. Uh, Dancing with dis- I, I have to be able to pronounce it. Disruption, a new approach to navigating life's biggest changes. Linda Rossetti, thank you for being on the show. Um, we really appreciate it. Catherine, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 